Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. You know, one of the key things that a lot of people are concerned about these days is their health. You know, we have that strong desire to remain healthy throughout our lives. I think we're all thinking about health and how we could do this better. So in keeping with that theme, I invited Michelle McClellan of Spring Into Healthy Food to come on the podcast today. I asked her to come and share her expert knowledge on organic gardening. Michelle has had an organic vegetable garden and perennial gardens for decades. In 2009, she completed training to be an expert gardener. And since then, it has been Michelle's mission to inspire people to easily grow organic food that's free of toxins. Much of the secret, she says, is having a healthy soil. That's what makes this successful. Her clients get to be creative, growing vegetables that are the color of the rainbow and varieties she says that you're just not going to find in the grocery store. Michelle is looking forward to helping us today to see that growing your own food can actually save your money on both your grocery bill and even your medical cost. So Michelle, I'm really grateful and honored that you're here today. I know this is a passion of your heart, uh, gardening and I remember meeting you a few years ago in a a joint business group that we were all a part of. And I was always intrigued when you spoke. And, you know, you don't often meet someone who's so passionate about this. And I just knew you had a message just for the world to hear. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Deb. Debbie, for that kind introduction and for this excellent opportunity. I'm here to serve your audience. Well, I am glad you're here. And, you know, sometimes we can get overwhelmed with gardening. Gardening. I mean, I do. I have, I try. I don't even do plants well. So every now and then I might grow basil and I do that well. But, you know, overall, I know there's so much that you can share. So tell us, like, just from the beginning, what has made you so passionate? Why did you even go in this? So, I think that... um I'm also in the medical field. I'm a physical therapist and I've worked in a functional medicine clinic for five years and followed uh, all these mavericks and health warriors. And, you know, I think part of growing healthy food is not only the nutrients that you add to yourself, but also the toxins that you don't add. And so um, I first was introduced to compost when I was in New Hampshire and I had bought a couple bushes and they looked dead after about a week. And my neighbors gave me some of the compost that they were uh, making. And that got me making compost because um, the secret, like you said, Deb, is really in the soil. Like in the beginning, whether someone's gonna grow uh, their organic food in pots or in the ground or raised beds, the secret is I think to get a soil test which can often be done by the Cooperative Extension Office in your state if you're in the U.S. and it's under $20. And they will tell you what to add to your soil. So where I live, we have marine clay soil. So it's the soil texture even. If you think of soil as a living organism with all these microorganisms in it, but it's also the texture. So with the hard clay soil, we can get a torrential rainstorm 
and you go down an inch and it's dry as a bone because it's like the rain hits cement and there's just not enough air pockets in the soil. So any soil test you would have where I live is always going to say add organic matter. And then if you live in an area with a sandy soil, it's going to go, it'll go through too fast. Okay. So the secret always is in amending the soil. And that's what I've found to be, I call it black gold, you know, Mm -hmm. the compost is, um, it just keeps giving in so many ways. And what you need to make your own compost is you need some brown. So that's like the leaves. You need some green. Um, that can be grass clippings. That can be, I have a um, stainless steel bucket with a carbon filter thing on the top next to my sink. And so that's where I put my vegetable scraps, my um, fruit scraps and things, no animal products. You can put eggshells in and coffee grinds. And um, then you just need some air and some water. So, you know, I'm not on a lot of land, so I do mine in a compost tumbler. And then I add these things called red wiggler worms and they just multiply and um, they make it happen a lot faster. And, you know, so if I take compost out of my compost tumbler, I'm taking some of the red worms with me. I'm not, you know, sifting them or anything, but there's enough there. It's like I leave some left over, almost like starter dough if somebody made yogurt or somebody made um, sourdough bread, that you leave some there with all those amazing microorganisms that's going to start your next batch, so to speak. And so, you know, if um, you're in an urban environment, you know, you certainly can find organic soil by the bag, you know, to put in your pots or flower um, boxes and things. And, you know, like some of it has um, beneficial fungi in it and stuff, but the key is, I think, improving the soil. And then it's going to save you a lot of money and a lot of frustration. So if you buy like, so I can already see myself going to the store Mm -hmm. uh, to buy organic soil. So once you have it and it's in your pot, do you need to keep adding things to keep it healthy or does it maintain itself? So I will amend it a little bit as I go if it's in a pot because, you know, as you um, water the pot and as the plants in the pot take the nutrients, you're going to want to add a little bit along the way, you know, maybe the next season, add a little bit fresh soil. And um, the other thing that the soil test will tell you is the pH, because the ideal pH range for growing vegetables is not too acidic and not too alkaline. And so if you don't have the right pH, the nutrients can't be brought up by the plant. Okay. So once you get the right, you know, soil composition, then everything's easy to grow. Is that something we could figure out the pH or? That would be part of the soil test. Okay. okay. When they send it back to you. Yeah. And if anybody wanted to do one, you know, and has a form from a cooperative extension, um, like my email is the three P's garden at gmail.com. So often there's a um, place you can add an email address. So the soil test gets sent to you and to me and I'd be complimentary more than happy to go through it with you and give you some advice. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't think of anyone better to do that. So yeah. Hey, listeners, take advantage of that. That would be just fabulous to get that information. So I think a lot of times there's people who maybe live in apartments or they don't have like land. 
Mm-hmm. So what is your yeah. advice for them? Like, what are the kind of containers that you could use to grow even right. your own environment? Right. So um, there's actually a method called square foot gardening where you, you know, in a square foot, okay. maximize as much as you can grow. And so I also think about the most economical vegetables to grow and things like that, herbs. So you definitely can do herbs. I've done them just in a... Um, a box on my railing outside my kitchen, you know, super convenient because I'm going to go out there and get it um, when I'm cooking. And um, you definitely can grow, you know, some things that go vertical, like tomatoes. Um, they need probably a at least a foot round pot, you know, and some support and basil and things like that. You can grow in pots, things like cucumbers and um zucchini and yellow squash if you have enough for the vines to wander you know they just need the you know the roots to be in the pot but they're gonna wander (laughs) so you need a little more space for something like that but yeah a lot of times I think about you know you don't want to have this $70 tomato plant you know buying the pot buying the soil (laughs) getting the plant um you know how can you do this economically and actually save money so I can tell you, like, but going back to the compost, there was one year, we called it the year of our tomato jungle, that we had all these cherry tomato plants showing up in our garden, and there was just too many to keep. So we wrote to our friends and neighbors and asked if they wanted some, and um, we gave away about 20 or 30 plants, and we still had a ton. And that, and we didn't plant them. That's the point. They just showed up, what we call volunteers from the compost. And so that year we picked eight and a half pounds of cherry tomatoes one day and two days later, five and a half pounds. <gasps> and that all came out of the compost. Right. So I was ah! calling it free food, but my son said I needed to call it earned food. He's like, cause mommy, we actually did something to make that happen. And so then the year of the pandemic, It was kind of crazy that in this house, um, we had moved here four years before, our backyard is all shade and a big oak tree and it's, you know, lovely, but not enough sun. You need six to eight hours of sun to grow your herbs and um, vegetables. So he's like, I want a garden. So (laughs) I found myself at a big box store buying a couple raised beds, some organic soil, and we made a front yard garden and he took out the grass and he mixed in the compost. And then we had these vines volunteers show up that we didn't plant. And I'm like, wow, we cucumbers that would look like that or maybe butternut squash or maybe zucchini, you know, it's we'll just have to figure out what it's gonna be. So it was growing out to the street and out to our driveway. And that year we got 12 free butternut squashes earn food and um, that we didn't plant. And um, a 13th one, my son ran over with the lawnmower and uh, cause it was in the grass, you know, we had to stop mowing there. We don't have that much grass, but we have a little. And then we got these other things, Debbie, that I had never even heard of. Um, they're the color of acorn squash, but they don't have the indentations, they're round. And they're actually kabocha squash or Japanese pumpkin. And we got four of those that we didn't plant. (laughs) Oh my gosh. One of my friends figured that out. And she's like, you need to save those seeds because they're like $3 and 50 cents for just 12 seeds. And that's the other thing. 
we do with our tomatoes. We really like some of the heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Me we too. We save the seeds. And then same with the butternut squash, same with the kabocha squash. So we have them for next year. And so thinking about myself, I'm a pure novice here. What do you do with the seeds? Do you dry them out? or? Yeah. So say, let's let's say um, for the butternut squash, you know, it, it if you take out the seeds, you know, it's kind of got all that wet orange membrane around them. Okay. So I put them in a strainer and I just run some water and I separate them away from that. So it's just the seeds. Okay. And then I'll put them on a paper towel and let them dry. And then I'll store them in an envelope, just like, you know, when you get the seeds at the store, they're in an envelope. I don't think it's a good idea to put them in a plastic bag because the moisture in the seed, I think will um, cause it to rot. So I just store it in an envelope till the next year. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, good idea. So what would be your advice? Because I'm just, you know, thinking about anybody who wants to start, like what are the basics that you need? I know we talked about the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, like what would be the basics that someone would need if they just wanted to start this process? Right. So I would say once you have the soil, once you have your container, or if you're going to you know, do it in the ground or get some raised beds, like for us, the raised beds make some sense because of the clay soil. It's kind of hard to work. And then you really know what your soil is. But I would start with something simple like, beans you know a lot of us when we were kids Mm. we grew beans in a dixie cup at school yeah i remember those things sprout in less than a week you know and give you some positive reinforcement um the other thing is any of the greens you know is so healthy for us the kale the collards the lettuces and those are super easy to grow and you know some of those as you cut it it'll keep coming you know until it's done So those are some of the ones that are simple. I think the cucumbers and zucchini and yellow squash and things are prolific. And they're some of the least expensive ones to grow. Like corn can be expensive because you need land because it needs to cross pollinate. But um, there's other ways also in your planning is to think about the seasons. So you can get this maximum yield, if you will, by what can you grow in the cool season, the warm season, the cool season again. Okay. Okay. And um, and uh, there's quite a few herbs that are perennials. So rosemary is a perennial, oregano is a perennial, thyme is a perennial. Um, parsley is a biennial, meaning two years. Um, basil is an annual, cilantro is an annual, dill is an annual. But I think about the seasons because then I can maximize my yield. There's other ways, speaking about like a garden, is to go vertical. If you can even give some of these vines some vertical support, you don't need as much of a land mass, you know, it's a pot. So um, years ago, I was able to go to Michelle Obama's garden with a White Mm. House staffer and a um, Secret Service agent. And she was definitely doing that successive planting of, you know, pull something out, put something else in. And she was doing the Three Sisters, which is what the Native Americans did. And they would put corn, squash, and beans in the same hole. And so the beans would climb up the corn for some support, and then the squash was lower. 
And that was just another way to be dense with your planting and get more food. I had never heard of the three sisters planting. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So what, just for like, if you wanted to do herbs in your kitchen, what do you Mm -hmm. think are the top five herbs that you should probably grow that you would just use? Yeah. You know, so what's interesting about some of the herbs is basil likes um, like rich soil. That's why like it's fun sometimes to grow basil with your tomato plants. And if you eat dairy, you know, the, um, you could make a caprese salad, you know, with some mm-hmm. fresh, fresh mozzarella cheese. But some of the other ones like the rosemary, the lavender, the um, thyme, they actually like a sandy, rocky soil. Um, they don't like their feet to stay too wet. And that's if we think about it, it's the conditions of the Mediterranean is what they like. So, um, you know, one of my neighbors had this amazing amount of time at the end of her driveway where it was just gravel and nothing, you know, I mean, neglect. (laughs) I like those kinds of plants and they were super easy to grow. So, like I said, um, I don't really have, I have a lot of windows, but not a lot of direct sun. You know, some people have that really nice window over their kitchen sink that goes out and, you know, you can put some plants there. That would be super fun. Um, I've tended to do it in deck boxes and I haven't worried too much about the soil. Like I've definitely been successful, um, putting the parsley out there. I, I, I guess I'm hedging you a little bit because I want you to grow what you'd eat. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. You just don't like put a bunch of herbs. You like what I would, what I would use probably would be the basil, the rosemary. I love parsley. Parsley. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And cilantro has a lot of, um, that's a cool weather plant that has a lot of, um, you know, detoxing properties to it. If you want to throw it in your smoothie or throw it in your salad, you know, I do think about the benefits of, like you had said, eating the rainbow and, you know, saving money, not just on your um, grocery bill. And you can be creative, like some of these heirloom tomatoes, you're never going to see at the grocery store, you know, the yellow, the orange, purple Cherokees things like that. And, you know, at our farmer's market, I'll even see now cauliflower that's um, purple or like Mm -hmm. a duck orange color, not just the white. And so you can get, you know, creative with, you know, just play with it, grow something fun, grow something unusual, maybe that, you know, you had in a restaurant or a friend's home or, you know, got curious at the farmer's market. And then, you know, if I buy a purple Cherokee tomato, I can save the seeds. Again, they have that gel on them. So I'm going to put it in the strainer, do a little friction to separate that and dry the seeds on a paper towel and save it for the next year. So just listening to you, Michelle, it sounds very like you, we could do this. Anybody could do this. You just mm-hmm. kind of have to like make that choice, make that decision, be intentional. Like I never would have thought to save the seed. And then Mm -hmm. just get it going for the next year. So if you don't have indoor lighting, like a great window, or is is there some other mechanical type lighting that you buy? Or how do you get around that? You can get a tower garden, which is an indoor garden. That's just one brand that has um, pockets for you to put plants in and has its own watering and light system. There are different brands of that. Okay, it's an indoor tower. That's why it's called a tower garden. Um, 
there is a chef in Manhattan who has some of those up on the roof of the building his restaurants in. He's using those. But another thing that comes to mind, Deb, is to join a community garden. Ah, uh, I've or seen even, those. Yeah. yeah. Or even go visit one. Like super interesting. Where I live, I've volunteered in um, one of those. I'm living in the UN. I live in right outside DC. I work in DC and I'm in Northern Virginia. You know, you could walk down the street in DC and hear five languages. There's people from everywhere here. And so going to that community garden, um, you know, I passed some, but spending time in one where people have the same size plot, super interesting what they're growing. You know, it, it really can have to do with what they grew in their own country, what they ate in their own country. So such a diversity. And the even to go visit one, you don't have to be a member. You know, you can get on a list. Sometimes your name comes up quick. But there's such a generosity and a kindness, I think, to gardeners to share what they have and um, what they know. And, um, you know, just to visit one, you can figure out what's going to grow good in my climate. You know, because mm -hmm. some of us have to think about the cold hardiness or the heat index. Like if I grow cilantro or dill, it does a thing called bolting. So in, I'm in zone 7B. And so I can grow that in the spring and the fall. But when it gets to be June, July, and it's hot, it turns into a flower. And that's what bolting is. And that's when oh, I can put okay. in tomatoes, zucchini, butternut squash, my basil, things like that. But I really do think about you know, what do we like to eat? What do we buy at the store? You know, and um, that's one way, you know, to save money. And then you mentioned, you know, saving money on medical bills. Because I live in that functional medicine space, I think a lot about the gut microbiome mm -hmm. and that that's connected to our um, immune system and our brain health. And there's actually more of them growing in us than us ourselves. And they really don't like glyphosate and BT toxin and things like this. And it's been shown if a farm is willing to turn over and be sustainable, they can grow more food than a commercial farm where it's monoculture, meaning just one crop in the same soil, everything's depleted. And what a lot of people don't know about Roundup glyphosate is they use it on the... Um, GMO Roundup Ready crops, because when they spray the crop, everything around it will die but the crop, because the crop has been um, genetically altered to withstand the Roundup. And like for wheat, um, they use it as a desiccant to get it to ripen faster so they can put a second crop in. Okay. And so a lot of us in the medical field are starting to wonder about um, not celiac disease, which is an outright gluten problem, right? But a gluten sensitivity. Is it the gluten or is it that it's been altered and sprayed with these chemicals because it's not been altered in Europe? So we can have patients who um, know they have to be careful here with gluten and they'll go to France and eat all the croissants they want. They'll go to Italy and eat all the pasta they want and they come home and they tell their healthcare provider, I'm cured. And then they go back to eating our wheat, which has been altered and doesn't even look like um, the wheat of years ago or the wheat that's in Europe. And um, they're sick as, as can be, you know, they, yeah. I, you know, my son, my youngest, 
is, you know, has the gluten sensitivity. He has said the same thing. He's like, mom, I go to Ireland. I go to Italy, anywhere. He goes, I eat everything. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's so different in Europe. And yeah, yeah, there's something different, you know, and it's like, you know, when you decide to clean up your diet, I think a lot of us just don't even know that we're sick, like feeling like, you know, um, mm -hmm. Dr. Mark Hyman talks about feeling like crap, FLC, <laughs> um, until you eliminate some things that, you know, are common things people are sensitive to. And, um, and then if you decide to gradually add them back in and really watch how you feel, what your health is, and then you'll know that's just not a good thing for you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my son wasn't really raised much with cow's milk. He was more of a water kid. Um, but, you know, cow's milk is good for baby cows. <laughs> like Some of this stuff is just kind of weird. You know, and, and, and in that case, it can be uh, the hormones they're given the animals and things. You know, we can see young, right. uh, young girls and boys developing a lot earlier than we did. And, you know, there's something wrong. You know, it's I don't think we need to speed up puberty. I think it's good for them to stay a child yes. as long as they can, you know. Um, well, let me ask you this. I have this uh, quote here. A garden feeds more than the table. It feeds the soul. Mm -hmm. And I, I also too. <laughs> yeah. And I always, you know, you always hear about gardening being therapeutic. Mm -hmm. uh, people feel like when they're stressed, they go out to their garden, or even if it's flowers, you know, or vegetables, mm -hmm. it does something to the soul. So what have you found personally that it does for you? Well, not to do a play on words, but I really feel grounded when I'm in my garden and you know helping people be successful and yeah i kind of play with the word soul and soil um i'm happiest when i'm digging in the dirt you know it's like you know i can come in a muddy dirty mess and that's okay you know it just um i don't know you're just so connected to nature and mm -hmm. i think it almost can be meditative and definitely a source of stress relief you know because you know, it doesn't take long for things to germinate and then you feel that success and you feel a little bit of pride that, you know, you're doing something healthy for yourself and your family and friends. Like, you know, one of the things I love to do with my perennials is, you know, bring a bouquet to someone's home, you know, if we're getting together for a meal or something. And it doesn't look anything like what you'd get at the florist, you know, because it's just a bunch of different things that happen to be in season. and um you know, I like doing that maybe even in an antique um, water um, bucket, you know, or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's the fact that you grew it. And I think that, like you said, the accomplishment of being creative. Uh, my daughter has one of those vertical gardens in her backyard. She loves to grow. Mm -hmm. And my, my grandchildren are just so excited. They're like, Nana, look at the strawberries. Nana, look what we have. And mm -hmm. I think it's even good, you know, if you have young children, it's a great way to just yeah. teach, teach them. And it sounds like you've done that with your son as well. So yeah, yeah. He, he didn't realize that was unique, you know, going out there and eating the cherry tomatoes or the sugar snap peas right off the vine, you know, he just didn't realize that was a thing that not everyone else is doing, you know, really got uh, older. What a gift he's had growing up in with you. 
you know, to be exposed to all this. So I know, Michelle, that you work with a lot of clients. And um, I, I would love to know, like, how, what do you do? How do people reach out to you? Um, yeah, well, I think, what does yeah, that think, look like? So I think the easiest way is to write to me at um, my email address, the three, um, the number three, P's, P-E-A-S, garden. So at gmail.com. And um, it's a play on words, like, P is plan, plant, and produce. And, um, you know, the summits that I've run, like you mentioned, Debbie, is um, Spring into Healthy Food, where I interviewed 10 experts to help teach people to grow organic food. And um, I just think if you reach out, you know, everybody's an individual. And, you know, some people are starting, some people are um, intermediate gardeners, and some are quite advanced, but they still want to 10x what they're doing. And so it really just starts with gleaning from the person I'm um, assisting, what are their needs? What is their goals? What's their aspirations? And like you've touched upon a couple of times is how can we immediately see some success that first mm -hmm. season, you know? And once you get that bug, <laughs> I think you're gonna be hooked, you know? It can be frustrating if you're trying to grow things in less than ideal conditions. And that's where I think it, we all get to give ourselves some grace that, you know, you know, that self-talk we have for ourselves, you know, I'm just, I'm just a beginner. I'm just learning, you know, I can do this and things and not, you know, focus on something that didn't work out as well as you may have hoped. Because just like us, if um, your plant is in a good environment, it doesn't get sick you know, like, you know, things kind of have shifted the last few years, but you know, when I'm healthy, I can be around someone who has a cold. I'm not going to get the cold. Like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. well, that's just, what I, I have here. Like you, you just build your immune system mm -hmm. by yeah. eating healthy like this. And I think that's where a lot of people's mindset is now. How can I be healthy? And my husband and I, you know, you know, we're getting into those latter years and we're like, we want to be healthy. So we're just mm -hmm. conscious of what we put in our bodies. I always say, I don't want to think about what I shouldn't have. I rather think about what I should be putting in my body. And I think it right. just naturally takes mm -hmm. place. The things, because I don't know if you say, oh, you can't eat this and this, this anymore. Everybody gives up. But if you right, think, think, of, yeah, think yeah. about the positive of what you could put in, it's a different way to approach it. Right. Like if you even add a healthy salad, you know, like you'll crowd other things out, you know, once you, you know, get eating clean and things, you realize how sweet some of our vegetables and definitely our fruits are. And, you know, it was just Halloween here in the U.S. And, um, you know, I bought candy I don't like. I brought it to work. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that day there was Krispy Kreme donuts sitting in our break room. And I'm like, what are those like fluffed up sugar thing? Like they make my teeth hurt. Like I don't even see them because I know that's not going to be good for me. You know, yeah. I mean, we can definitely do the 80-20 rule, you know, 90-10 rule. You don't have to be perfect. But um, thinking about the immune system, the other thing is, you know, I wonder about probiotics and prebiotics. And there's definitely probiotic and prebiotic food. Because if we take a pill, I'm not so sure that that's going to go through our digestive tract and actually get to the part of the gut that we want it to be in. 
And I'd rather do it with foods. So it can be fermented foods. Um, jicama, I know, is one of the prebiotic foods that it's more from, you know, the Caribbean and things. But, you know, whether it's kabucha or um, some people do it with yogurts, I do it to, and to do it with fermented um, beets and things I get at an organic grocery store, beets or cabbage, you know, and really try to get to improve my gut microbiome with prebiotic and probiotic foods, you know, giving them what they like, you know. I love beets. I love yeah. beets. My One of my granddaughters does too. And it's, I just love getting the fresh beets and baking mm -hmm. them in the oven for her. <laughs> well, I have this final quote and I, I love it. It's by Audrey Hepburn. To plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. Oh, I want to, isn't that beautiful when you really mm -hmm. sit and think about that, like, because you're planning something that's going to come up in the future and that you're believing in tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to encourage everyone who's listening today to really reach out to Michelle. I'll have all our contact information in my show notes. But if this is something that you've been contemplating, you know, wanting to learn, this is about transitions. This is about change. This is about doing something different and new. And so, you know, here, here you have someone who's saying, just email me and I'll help you. And you know, 100%. It's like a passion I have. And it's a mission. I mean, it's like those few years that we didn't have a garden because we didn't have enough sunlight in the backyard. My friends were shocked. They're like, what are you growing? I'm like, oh, I don't have a garden this year. They're like, what? <laughs> and, um, you know, because at the last house, too, we were on a thoroughfare, like just a neighborhood, but into a park. And we always had sunflowers <laughs> in oh, the yeah. backyard. And we'd save those seeds as well. You know, you can eat them. You can save them for the next year. But I'd always leave some for the goldfinches and things because, you know, they just make me happy. <laughs> I have to tell you something really sweet. My, uh, as I shared, my son's getting married next weekend. And we went out and had dinner together. And he bought me a bouquet of flowers, but they were all sunflowers. And, oh. and he said, hey, mom, these are really sunflowers flowers like s-o-n and i just thought Aww. that was so cute <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> and i know i love it but listen michelle thank you so much for being with us today you've shared so much information it's just an honor to follow you and to mm -hmm. keep up with what thank you're you. doing and i want to thank my transition tribe that comes in each and every week you come in to be transformed you come in to grow and you come in to learn about the purpose and the power of the transitions in our life. I thank you for sharing this episode and I thank you for your support and for all that you do to make this podcast a success. Thank you, Michelle, again, for your time. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A.com.